morning, campers! Are we all excited to be at camp today? Yeah. That was it? Wow, that was, let me try that again. Good morning, campers! <laughs> Good morning! Because... <laughs> <laughs> that would always make me so mad at camp and then not want to yell louder. <laughs> that's the opposite of their intended goal. They're supposed to make you want... Well, I mean, they're supposed to make you feel a little bit awkward the first time, but then the second time you do it, um, it's kind of supposed to override your, like... You're like a mental block because yelling just does make you feel more excited because you don't have control over how your body makes you feel. You know what I mean? I think it's just peer pressure. And also it's peer pressure. Yeah. And, and as a as a former camp counselor, we know that and we're leaning into it. Oh, we're getting all the behind the scenes lore about camp counselors. Good morning, Speaking everyone. My name is Amber Autumn. She, her. Prince Devin, he, him. And today we have a guest. Kay, say what's up. Hi, uh, my name's Kay, I use they, them pronouns, and I'm super excited to be here. Well, I'm glad you're excited to be here. We're excited to have you here at camp today. <laughs> I, don't I don't remember signing up for summer camp, but you know, I can roll with it. I'm not continuing this bit for the whole episode. I'm stopping it here. This is camp as far original as this goes. what, Amber? Amber, what's the camp? What do we do while we're here? How do campers get this badges? Is camp. This is camp original podcast. Do not steal the weekly summer camp in which every week um, Devin and I and sometimes one uh, camper uh, take one of your favorite and or least favorite properties, um, stories, television shows, video games, hopes, dreams, ideas, whatever, and we make an original character in that franchise. Um, uh, and occasionally, um, if we have an episode that one of our one of our two hosts is especially excited in, we do a revisit episode, and that's what's happening today. Back in season one, we did a episode on the Dimension Twenty uh, Crown of Candy show, um, and uh, today we will be doing a, a revisit of that property with us with a special guest on to to sort of uh, uh, fill out our knowledge base on that. Um, am I missing anything? Is that about is that about what the show is? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what the show is, and I'm totally keeping this idea that, like, the show takes place in a summer camp for season three. I'm just jotting that down mentally. But I would like to say up top that the purpose of revisit episodes is to either reevaluate your relationship to art, you know, because we grow and change as people, so maybe the way we look at a certain piece has changed, and or it is to take, because this is a first draft, like a rough draft podcast so we take that rough draft that loose sketch of an oc we add another layer we turn the opacity down and then we do some line art maybe some flat colors that's usually what revisit episodes look like but for me personally the reason we're doing a revisit episode is because the crown of candy was one of the few times i've ever said i want to go no spoilers and now i just want to talk full spoilers <laughs> <laughs> I just want to talk about other things that happen <laughs> and and two episodes that are just me yelling at Amber about Crown of Candy in vague and then very hyper detailed terms. I felt like would have been a little off. So we got a guest. So Kay, hey, what's up? Semi famous for doing Dimension 20 cosplays on TikTok and they're all goddamn phenomenal. Would you like to let the audience in? <laughs> On A, we forgot to do the thing to introduce you to the audience, but what is one thing you think is underrated and what is one thing you think is overrated? But then after that, would you like to give a little bit of your history with Crown of Candy? Because I'm going to talk a lot and I want to give other people space to talk. <laughs> Did we get a celebrity for this? Are you oh, famous? God. No, don't put that moniker on me. Okay, I, I do this because I love it. I wouldn't call myself famous by any stretch of that word. Thank you very much. 
so overrated i'm gonna start with overrated because i feel like it's gonna piss some people off but it is what it is i think and i don't i'm not saying it's bad but i think star wars is very overrated and i'm i would be happy if there if it didn't exist anymore like if there was nothing new that ever came out out of that entire universe um i hope y'all don't hate me my for lips that. so hard <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying overrated too popular i disagree for its own you good. can like whatever you want i don't it's fine it's not a moral judgment <laughs> It's fine. I just have a lot of thoughts about visions. Uh, it's, <laughs> but anyways, you know go what? on. <laughs> um, and underrated. Uh, I don't know if either of you will know what, uh, what I'm referencing at all. But the 2006 TV show uh, on BBC called Robin Hood, so good. One of my favorite nostalgia TV shows, and no one knows. They're what hiding I'm a about. lot of. They're hiding a lot of good TV over there yes! at the BBC. It's so good. It's so good. That's where uh, Richard Armitage, or at least that's where I first discovered Richard Armitage, and he's amazing. And he plays a villain, and it's so good. So that would be a that's that's my uh, underrated piece of media right there. Um, it's always it's yeah. always fun hearing how guests interpret that prompt because we 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 give the same like what's something you think is overrated something you think is underrated mm -hmm. and some guests take that to be like um, what's anything in the world some guests take it to be like what's anything about like the specific topic that we're talking about today mm. um, you've just taken it to be about like media and sort of just like talking about the podcast that we're doing broadly here yeah um, it's always I don't know it's it. It's interesting to me. It always just like uh, uh, lets me know what scale our guest is thinking on a little bit. Hey, now you know if you ever want to do a BBC Robin Hood episode, you got me as a guest again. Duly noted. <laughs> I, I'm like on a BBC kick a little bit right now because I've been watching both Fresh Meat and a lot of Taskmaster recently. So, oh yeah. Um, it's in it's in my brain. So if you if you think it's good, like maybe I will watch it at some point. Good I mean, is it's, subjective. It's probably short. Oh, okay, got it. It's one of those. <laughs> But it is good in my heart. <laughs> hey, when are we doing the repo episode? Uh, shut up! Shut the fuck up! That will be a Devon Retrieval Arc episode. <laughs> I'm talking a lot right now because I'm going to basically shut up for the, the bulk of the actual episode. Because So we've done a Crowd of Candy episode before. And, and for those of you who are avid listeners of the show, you will remember that I... Um, have never listened to Crown of Candy and don't know that much about it and really just did my best to work with Devin to make um, uh, uh, Colonel Cornelius was our um, uh, our character um, who is a, a popcorn colonel sort of a character. Are we fleshing out that character at this point or are we coming up with a new Crown of Candy OC is my question for Devin. My thought was a new one, but I think that's also up to, like, I have a group of people here. They could also decide if we'd like to just find more layers to Colonel Cornelius. But my thought was a new person. What are you guys feeling? I could go either way. Um, I do have thoughts about Colonel Cornelius, having listened to you guys before. Wait, hold um, on. Hold on. <laughs> wait, wait. Someone has thoughts about no seaweed made? <laughs> I, do I need thoughts. to know. I do have thoughts, but do we save that for now or do we save that for later? I'm too curious we do that right to save now. it for later. <laughs> I need to know. Because I am heavily invested in the way uh, Calorum's genetics work. And your, your discussion on how uh, Colonel Cornelius as a popcorn would exist in the world and where his genetics and lifestyle came from. Um, I have thoughts that don't necessarily align with the ones that you chose. I think he was an interesting character, though. Don't get me wrong. No, shred us, please. Okay, so 
so there's a lot that goes into Calarum's genetics and what you look like uh, as food. Um, and it's not entirely just like your DNA and where you like what region you come from. Border regions have a lot of crossover and you also are like changed as you grow up in different places and spend long stretches of time there. So as a popcorn, I feel like probably he would actually be like Cerisian by blood, but then have spent a lot of time in Vegetania and then being like, uh, as you guys said, like a merry, merry men, like bandit type roaming around, probably have then sailed across like the, the dairy aisles and the yogurt shores for a while to pick up that like buttery flavor. That's kind of like my two cents on how you would get a popcorn person. That makes super sense. That makes sense. That's canon now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as someone who doesn't um, uh, listen to the show um, and doesn't know anything of what you're talking about other than what Devin has explained to me, um, that doesn't sound that dissimilar from the thing that we said, right? Is that um, uh, we said there was sort of a Vegetania root and then uh, a lot of other stuff was picked up by being migratory. That's fair. I, I, I distinctly remember y'all talking about him being like like vegetarian vegetarian as uh like DNA and then uh with some like fructarian influence and in my brain there wouldn't be a whole lot of fructarian influence. But yes to sense. dairy influence and I feel like there's gotta be like some kind of like grain background, aka like some kind of ceresia in there as well, but I feel like it's like a mild amount, you know? Okay, that makes sense. So, um, uh, okay, so uh, a new character then. Um, I am probably going to dip out for a lot of this episode. Do you want to, yeah, talk about your, your relationship with Crown of Candy? We, we, we prompted that a while ago, and then, and then we deliberately got off track talking about our old OCs. Oh, yeah. Uh, gosh, how do I explain my relationship with Crown of Candy? Well, I have seen every season of Dimension 20 at least once, and Crown of Candy is by far my absolute favorite. Um, I've seen it multiple times, and it is one of the only shows that continues to make me cry every time I watch it. I don't cry easy at media. So that's kind of where you've got there, and I have such a love for Dimension 20 just across the board in general. I've done five Dimension 20 cosplays so far, and none of them have been from Crown of Candy, but that's mostly because I'm too much of a perfectionist about it, so I'm working on them. But they're not fit for viewership yet. <laughs> you are working on them. I am. I really want to do a Liam cosplay so bad, and then I also really want to do a Ruby cosplay. This is a preview for your loving fans. Yeah, don't don't expect it anytime soon, though. Like I said, I'm being a perfectionist, and I don't have a lot of spare cosplay money right now, so that's going to take a while. It's hard to get full <laughs> face. Yeah, the, it's not the body paint I'm worried about. It's like the, the, um, the custom, like, I want to sew my own costumes with, like, and, and make the, the various candy props and things like that. So, especially, like trying to get like Liam's crossbow and like paint it to be like peppermint and stuff that's gonna be a whole thing that's gonna be rad though I count me in on the fans looking forward to the candy cosplay <laughs> I appreciate that um but yeah that's that's on my my big one of my big ticket things that I'm slowly building towards um but yeah that's kind of my my history with Dimension 20 I didn't discover it until uh that it existed or honestly didn't discover D&D &D podcasts and shows and things like that 
until the pandemic hit. I was just off in my own little world playing D&D and didn't really pay attention to what the rest of the universe was doing. Um, and then the pandemic hit and I had a lot of free time and I just started binging. Where do I want to start with? The Crown of Candy for me remains just the best season Dimension 20 have done. They set such a high bar of saying we're yes. going to do Game of Thrones because that is prestige television. And like... I love Fantasy High. I love Unsleeping City. I love Tiny Christ. But to say we are doing The Wire, <laughs> like we're doing our The Sopranos season, there is just a level of tension and fraught and like multi-layered character dimensions and relationship that has to be met and it fucking is <laughs> they match game they match early like season one through three game of thrones so fucking hard and so fucking good and there's death and it's scary and i cry <laughs> absolutely fucking season Yes, absolutely. It's very much like, I, I understand because that was the original concept. Everyone's like, it's Game of Thrones, but candy. And it is, but it's also its own story. It's not like a one-to-one -one with Game of Thrones. It's just very, um, like heavily political high fantasy that for the most part is actually very low magic as well which is why i think everyone compares it so heavily to game of thrones but it's very game of thrones if you only followed the starks like it is very yeah. narrowly focused on our pcs and not so much on the rest of the politics going on in the rest of the the world aka calorum yeah I think there's a very interesting thing that happens and like I've I've said this before in other spaces but it's incredible to me how just like perfectly everything fell in line when you are playing like a D&D &D thing so fucking random chance dice rolls play a part of it but like Lapan is the in to like wider political machinations and the church and when he dies they are cut off from that and it stops being a political intrigue show in that sense and it is just about survival and so like his death cuts them off from that wider section of the world that it is just about watching the rocks family try to survive in these insurmountable situations and it fucking rules and i don't even know where i want to start so i'm just gonna think for a second that's fair. I don't think that they're fully cut off from like the politics after Lapan dies, but it definitely narrows their their connections to it and they're in essentially. Like, but at the same time it's in that same moment that Amathar is um like no longer under the church and he's found out to have been like previously married and his children are bastards and things like that and that happens all in the same episode that Lapan dies like that was part of what triggered the fight that killed Lapan so it's like I think the combination of both of those that really is what gives us that middle section where they really are just on the run and then they're staying at uh the jawbreaker like castle and they're uh eventually off to find Saccharina and all these things that are more of a survival situation and it doesn't bring back to the the really intricate politics until the end can can i can i talk can i just talk about Saccharina Frostwhip for like 15 minutes of course minutes? yes <laughs> because like it's one thing of like i'm pretty like she's my favorite character in crown of candy but like she's my one of if not my favorite character in like dimension 20 can <laughs> Valid. She's fantastic. <laughs> I love her so much. And there's such like a 
a vocal subsect of the population who get mad when women are competent or when women mad or when women good at the thing. And so like Queen, I brain scattershot, but like Queen Caramelinda, there's like a subset of fans who don't like her because woman is upset and she walks uh, in stride equally with like spite and confidence. But like she's being played by Brennan. So there's a buffer as opposed to Saccharina, who is being played by Emily, who is a woman. Valid. So there's such like a section of people who are constantly mad. And I'm like, you guys don't get it. Like, like the fact that she is OP, A, is how the game is played, but B, makes the story better. Because my hot take is the first episode I did, I said that the theme of Crown of Candy is, is the world cruel enough to break up the Rocks family? And I think I'm wrong. I think that's like the primary conflict. I think the main theme of a Crown of Candy is, is about defining the words of House Rocks in sweetness there is strength. What does that mean? Can you operate in a world that is cruel, full stop, but walk through it with kindness and compassion? And that answering that question the answer is yes and it's going to be fucking hard and i think saccharina <laughs> makes that so much more apparent because like when you come back to the the theme of like will this family break apart it becomes like will they survive when they're on the run when they're excised from the church when their enemies can just kill them without political consequence but then when jet dies spoilers everyone full spoilers we get child murder in this season uh but when jet she's dies, not a child like, She's 18. <laughs> she's still a child, but she's technically 18. Oh, she I for, I thought I it's been a while since I've watched. I thought they were both like 16. No, okay. They start off the very first episode. It's their 18th birthday, their 18th right. Saints Day. Saints and day, they're yeah, being yeah. like crowned as adults. The only child in Crown of Candy is Liam. Liam is 17. And in Calorum, 18 is the age of adulthood. So Liam is 17 throughout the entirety of Crown of Candy. Um, I think he has a birthday, though, actually. I think he turns 18, like, when they're at the Jawbreaker Manor, but I might be forgetting that. But he starts at 17. But the twins are 18 on the very first episode. Sorry. I know, it's good. But, uh, yeah, it's a child murder. But, like, when Jet dies, it becomes, like... Will this family still be a unit who can talk to each other? Jet can't talk to her mom. Amethor is, like, not the best parent for my purview and now is dealing with a, a somber internalized grief where he cannot talk and communication has never been a strong suit. And so when it becomes that, like, just internally, will this can family continue to function? And you introduce Saccharina, who stands as, like, a living embodiment to Amethor's greatest sin, this lie that has, like, ruined their lives. And also, like, just... Ruby can't deal with this. She can't deal with like having just lost not only her sister, but her best friend in her second half and now has a new sister who was like, she just says it like I, you can be my sister, or you can be my queen, but you can't be both. And so like having the the tension come from the introduction of a new player who is a boon, who is an absolute like objective. If you're using like stat based gamer brain, she's such a benefit. She's a primary spellcaster in a world where that is rare. She's definitively more powerful than everyone. But accepting her is so fraught and difficult and it makes everything so richer and prestigious. And like the fact that she's OP making it better is because like it's this thing. We're in Star Wars, because you brought up Star Wars earlier, but like Ray, <laughs> a big thing she deals with is like not knowing her place in the world. And I was wrong because I also wanted Ray's last name to be Skywalker, but there's no tension in the world going, hey, 
this is exactly where you belong. You have the right last name and you know exactly how your story is going to play out. So like if Saccharina shows up and she's just a boon and she's just accepted, there's no tension there. But like, will they fight? There's so much tension there. And and then it would become if they're just like going to fight, it's like 3v1. That's not tense, but it's 3v1 when that one is a primary spellcaster who is definitively better at spellcasting than everyone here. It's just, she's so good. I love everything about this. She showed up and I was immediately in love. It was that exact moment at Persona 5 when Ryushi Sakamoto shows up and he doesn't have a name yet and it's just this vulgar boy. And I looked over to my partner and I went, that's my boyfriend and I love him. I love him <laughs> so much. I want to I wanna point out though that like she is OP in the sense that she is incredibly powerful in a way that is unexpected in the world. But she's not actually got, in terms of mechanical like 5e stats she is not more powerful or like higher level than anyone else in the group the reason that she comes across as being op is only because it is a world where high magic doesn't exist and their mm -hmm. enemies don't have a good way to counter what they're doing the only magic that exists really is low level like clerical magic through the Bulbian church or low level like other magic that is being passed off as clerical magic. And when she comes in being like a unabashed, high powerful like sorcerer, it feels OP because there isn't anything available to counter her. But I want to make it clear that that it's not that she had like better stats than anyone else at the table. It has to do with the function of the lore and the world they're in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. But she's absolutely amazing. And she is the perfect example of being like straddling that line, being caught between two worlds because she is brought in as like a foil to Ruby and is this extremely powerful sorcerer which is what ruby is kind of like working towards after she's multi-classing also like she's also pulled in the other direction with everything that she's got with her uh band of various people who are misfits from all over calorum and don't really fit in and and she's being pulled in these two different directions and her loyalties are being pulled in these two different directions. And she serves as a great like outside perspective on the story from the Rocks family because we've been getting everything so close from the Rocks family and their perspective up until that moment. And you start to see because she's brought in, you start to see a little bit of what's going on outside of the royalty, outside of the the movers and shakers in Calorum. Yeah, she's so outside of the auspices of power and like. There's this thing of, like, Jet doesn't want the crown and starts to reevaluate that, like, right before her death. And to Saccharina, like, the crown is simply a means to enact, like, the change I want in the world. And the change mm -hmm. I want in the world is no fucking church. And I think, like, there's some... Uh, to, to show my own political leaning as an anarchist, I'm very much about a lot of what Saccharina Frostwhip is about, but what makes it, like, more interesting is, like, it's multi-layered motivations where I think there's, like, an altruism of, like, no, magic has been a net positive in my life. It has made me powerful. It has allowed me the ability to give these pe these disenfranchised people a home, and the church says it is bad. Ergo, I want to get rid of it. Just, like, because things are free in Candia. Why can't they be free everywhere? But it is also, like... The church hurt me. 
in a very specific child abuse ways and i want to get rid of the thing that made me feel bad there's just so much going on with zacharina and she's so cool she's so cool she's like tall and hot and i love her so much she's tall yes she is tall and hot she's a tall and hot ice cream woman how could you not love her uh but that's i just like i'm listening as an outside observer and it's just like like 20 minutes of 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 character and theme and then and also she's tall and hot (laughs) i mean they are she's tall and hot (laughs) you can be both you can you can be an interesting character who's also tall and hot uh, <laughs> I'm saying that in support of that. I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the the Bulbian church and like how that has affected everyone that we see, honestly. Because, as you said, it affected her so profoundly to be raised in this church-run orphanage from a very young age that was constantly beating her down for her abilities and trying to get her to hide them and control them and pretend that it didn't exist because it is quite frankly illegal at the time of a crown of candy being like uh showing and and that time period um but if i if you don't mind if i bring it back to uh the ravening war and the show that's going on right now just briefly um go for it the Church is still like that, but so different, like the 20, 25 years prior in the Ravaging, like before the Ravening War, because it is very obvious that from watching the Ravening War and then now that the in the time that has happened since the Concord became a thing and in the, the 20 years that um, uh, Uvano is in power and all that and Brassica is running the church, things have become even more like restrictive and that was a direct result of the various things that were happening during the war and i'm not saying that the church wasn't restrictive beforehand but there was more um before the concord was formed there was more of an expectation that the the various other people hiding in you know the rural areas outside of main cities in all of the different regions had their own version of like the sweetening path and the sugar plum fairy and all that. They had their own non-Bulbian things that they were worshiping and magic and things like that. And post Ravening War, like, is when it really came to a head and got squashed, which is right, if you think about timing, that's right when Saccharina was a really tiny child having those memories that we see in A Crown of Candy. Like, that was immediately post uh, Ravening War. It had to be given her age. So she was being raised during that pinch point where the bulb was or where the Bulbian church was most trying to squash away any kind of other magic that wasn't Bulbian. I want to just make a quick note for the audience um, listening. We talked about this a little bit before we went on air, but I want to make it clear um, uh, to listeners that we are recording this during the Ravening Wars airtime. Um, it, it'll it'll possibly be a little while before this airs. And so just for the record, we are we are mid Ravening War during recording time. So I w- I want to full cards on the table because I I feel like I'm in such a such a book club right now because I'm just nodding along going like yeah you're right I love these takes 
<laughs> I just want to full cards out of the table. I haven't watched Ravening War yet. Some of it is like access, and another part of it is I'm not as big on Matt Mercer as the rest of the internet. But I follow one person who like hates Matt Mercer more than I do because I don't hate him. I just want to, <laughs> but I follow one person who hates him, and they are abstaining from Ravening War specifically because of that. And the first thing they tweeted about it because like I have a friend watching it, and they're giving me details. But the first tweet when Ravening War went live was just cap locks fantasy racism has entered the chat there is a little bit but i wouldn't say that it's that noticeable my 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 takes on on ravening war so far uh with the four episodes that have aired episode five will be coming out very soon but with the four episodes that have aired so far it is very obviously a show a gift of love between two friends who are incredibly close, and that is Matt and Brennan. They have been friends for I don't even know how long, an incredibly long amount of time. And this was, as as Matt put it directly in an interview he did, um, he wanted to give Brennan the experience that Abria, who's playing at the table in Ravening War, had given Matt when she ran EXU. So basically wanting to give Brennan the chance to be a player in a world that he put so much thought and effort and time into. And you can tell that Matt Mercer has taken the time and effort to really get to know the intricacies of Brennan's world and try to build a story that will still be fun, but also meaningful and also not contradict any of the lore that is already there. He's not trying to make it, like he is making it his own in that he's spinning up these uh, uh, stories and twists that we had no idea existed given Crown of Candy, but he is not contradicting anything that has already been established and is giving time for and and space for the PCs to fill out that lore that we're only getting bits and pieces of in a crown of candy. So if you don't mind if I spoil something that was just dropped in the last episode. Um, Go for it. Full spoilers. Brennan is playing in, a, in the Ravening War. Brennan is playing um, a bard multi-class who is a member of the Bulbian church and is passing his magic off as like a primogen of the church, right? And... Mm-hmm. He writes a bunch of information, a bunch he's going full conspiracy theorist with everything that's going on right now. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But he starts writing all of these like essays on all this stuff that's happening right now and a bunch of stuff on like um uh the the various like uh Sanctus Putris and uh like all these different uh Bulbian theologies and all these things. And it was done so perfectly and you can tell it was not pre-planned because Brennan's eyes got the size of saucers when he put two and two together. Those are the same writings. I'm 99% sure. Those are the same writings that Jet and Ruby find when they're sneaking around with that um, Ceresian dude and pulling out like dirt on the Bulbian church and trying to get what they need to get in order to like uh absolve themselves of everything that's going on they end up like Brennan throws out like oh yeah and you find some information on this and that and you you pull some papers from here as you're like shuffling through when they when they raid Al- I think it's Alfredi's like home and steal a bunch of stuff if I remember correctly it's the same stuff so like Matt set it up perfectly And just, like, fed it right to Brennan so that he was able to, like, have his own character have a hand in something that was a turning point for the information that the Rocks family have 20, 25 years later. It was 
beautiful. My eyes also got wide <laughs> when you dropped the hammer on what that was. It's so good to watch. It was just oh, this the Ravening War has just been a, a like I said, a, just a, a show of love to the story. And you don't have to like Matt Mercer to enjoy the story. The characters are phenomenal and it just fleshes out this world that we love so much. If you like A Crown of Candy, you're going to like The Ravening War. Who cares if it's a different DM, you know? I'm going to see it. I just don't have the subscription. Like, yeah, man, it's a setting I love with a bunch of phenomenal players. I have no doubt in my mind that it's good. I just need 10 bucks. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to shame you. I just, I, I love the show so much. And it is, Ravening War is quickly going up there to being one of my favorites. I, I withhold judgment because it's not done yet. But um, A Crown of Candy is my, my favorite Dimension 20 show of all time. And Ravening War is rapidly throwing itself up the scale for me. So I'm very excited to see where it goes. But it just, the lore of this world is so complex and convoluted. And it's, it's lovely. Hey, that's big praise. And speaking of the fact that Ravaging War isn't over yet, can I talk about the ending of Crown of Candy and why it's my favorite Dimension 20 ending to date? Sure. Okay, so I have this hot take where it's like, it's the single best ending because the nature of Dimension 20 is you have combat, you have roleplay episodes followed by combat episodes. So like the emotional climax tends to happen in the roleplay episode. Like, in Fantasy High, there is nothing as emotionally cathartic in the Calvaxis fight as when Fabian uh, stabs the sword of Seacaster through his father's heart and rides off in the sunset. With mm -hmm. a crown of candy, they were able to take like the theme, like in Sweetness There is Strength, can you walk through a, cool wor a cruel world with compassion? The main point of tension, will this family stay a family? tie that into the battle episode and make it like a gameplay mechanic binary decision because what it comes down to is ruby on one side saccharine on the other and <laughs> i'm never gonna forget what brandon just what brandon just goes please maintain eye contact with me don't look at each other <laughs> oh i know yes and he hands them it each a piece of paper yeah were you gonna say something i was just gonna say it is so good to see that and it's a testament to their abilities like not just Brennan but everyone at that table and especially in that moment um Emily and Siobhan and their like ability to both stay in character and also really think about their how they want to to improv through the emotional ending that they're getting to yeah but the fact that it comes down to just a simple like mechanic decision that is also character based of like you have an opportunity to attack do you take it? And when you come back to like the the theme, right? You give this decision to the enemies, to to the cake man whose name is escaping me, to Calroy. That's the fucking Calroy. name. Calroy. Yeah, Calroy, to Bracatania, to... Why can't I? Keratin. You give it to any of them, 10 out of 10 times they take it. But on mm -hmm. this day, these two sisters do not. They adhere to the words of their house and they prove the theme right. You, It's going to be fucking hard. But you can forgive and you can be kind, even when the world is cruel, when it is a benefit to stab people in the back. You can still hold your head high. I, ah, it's so, it just it just ties everything together so perfectly. I love the ending of A Crown of Candy so much. It is very good. And you're right. It is a testament to their family motto and the whole theme that has been running through that entire season. It's 
fantastic. And I think also, too, given the fact that Crown of Candy was filmed third out of all of the Dimension 20 shows that involve the intrepid heroes, it was also a testament to them finding their footing as well at that table with the the style of show that they have and and whatnot. I think in previous seasons, like, they all come from improv, right? So ending with, like, those really uh, hard-hitting emotional notes, they obviously did some fantastic things, but it wasn't on, like, that expect... It wasn't that expectation. It wasn't like they were... Um, feeling the need for a super strong emotional ending to any season but with the crown of candy if you watch like some of the adventuring parties that they talk and their talkbacks and everything about the season they across the board have all said that it was one of the hardest seasons for them to film both because of like the actual uh uh subject matter and also because of like their recording schedule and what was going on for the IRL players lives and that combination meant that not only was it a really emotional show for like the subject but also it was just really difficult to film and was really weighing on them all the time I mean Lou even I'm impressed that he's come back for Ravening War because at the time he said he would never do anything like that ever again he loved it but it was also so hard on him and I think they felt the need to make sure that they had some kind of happiness and some kind of sweetness in the ending as well to bring light to a very heavy like subject you know yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do a very high praise but it is it is berserk-esque <laughs> because if you don't know in <laughs> berserk is my favorite story ever written and mm. dark shit happens in berserk constantly but there is always a moments of just a wonder and brightness that this world is cruel but kindness exists in it and that's that's the ending and like go, going back to like the season was hard it is a the only time to my recollection that they have talked about like this was the season where we needed like aftercare <laughs> post episodes and it is yes. the season that made lou wilson smoke cigarettes it is, and it is also a season that uh, uh, I can only infer this based on bits and pieces that I've gotten from like their the various times they've talked about it, but it seems like they were having a hard time scheduling their recording as well because they seem to have their system down where they record like two to four, usually three episodes in a day. They've talked about how they take food breaks in between, they switch out their outfits, like yada yada, and then that's their recording session for the day. It takes probably like nine to 12 hours. They're long days. But with Crown of Candy, there were some days where I think they were getting started much later than they typically would have liked because of everyone's working schedules outside of Dimension 20. And so that's why you have so many episodes where like Ali is making comments of like, it is four in the morning and we're still here in a warehouse, you know, where yada yada. Because they were filming so late into the night because people were, like, some of the people at the table were still working and had day-to-day commitments before doing their 12-hour filming days. And so not only did they have the subject matter weighing on them, but they also had that, just outside factors. Because anytime you're playing a TTRPG... That is insane. Right? yeah, they the all their Dimension Twenty, but especially Crown of Candy, was very much a, a a show created out of love for what they do. And anytime you play a TTRPG, you are bringing your own IRL experiences to the table and what's going on with you right then. And they do their best to keep it separate, but 
I think it only, even though it was very hard for them, I think it added to the seriousness of the show and it added to that tone of like, we are just beat down and tired that you get through a lot of the, the middle of the show where they're just trying things and failing and trying things and failing and trying things and failing. And I think a lot of that is amplified by the fact that they were also just running on like not enough sleep and not enough time to record. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's that moment in X-Men The Last Stand where Sir Ian McKellen looks at Patrick Stewart and he's like, dude, I'm fucking tired. <laughs> this is like the fifth X-Men movie and they're mm-hmm. both old and tired. Yeah, wasn't the season like when Lou was filming King of Staten Island? I don't know what they were doing in their regular lives, but it was they filmed it before Fantasy High Season 2 started airing, even though... Fantasy High Season 2 was airing first because that was when they were live and they pre-recorded Crown of Candy. So Crown of Candy would have been recorded, I think, like the winter pre-pandemic. So it was like that 2019 bleeding into early 2020 or maybe it was fall of 2019, something like that. Man, we've got to do a Fantasy High Season 2 episode because, God, I want to talk about everything that happens in Fantasy High Season 2. And we're also going to, we're going to, I'm going to give you that The 7 episode, Amber. I promise you'll love The 7. Oh, The 7 is so good up there for one of my favorite seasons as well. Do you want to be on for The 7 episode? (laughs) (laughs) I could talk about any Dimension 20. Let's be real. Um, But yes. So, um... I, I don't want to interrupt too much. I'm having a great time listening to you. Um, I do want to um, gently try to pivot us towards we've been talking about Crown of Candy for a while. Do we want to maybe start thinking about an original character? Yeah, gosh, where to start? <laughs> where to start? We could, because it is a D&D property, we could start with class. We could also start with one of our checkoffs items. I think those are great, like, little benchmarks of inspiration. Let me think. And I will take this moment to vamp and be like, hey, guys, last time we did the Dimension 20 trilogy, I said, if anyone wants to know about my pre-existing Dimension 20 OCs, leave one comment. And I got no comments, but I'm going to try again because I love Persephone Pomegranate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and, and, and I love Michael Maza of House Jawbreak. He's a super OC where he is another one of Liam's brothers. So if you give me opportunities you, to talk about them, I will. <laughs> Liam has too many brothers as it is. Why are you giving him more? Because I love Liam so much, and I wanted someone who was overly protective of Liam. I, I just, I was just like, I was like, because, because, okay, I did talk about those OCs for a second. I, I wanted both of them to exist, like, within the pre-existing family dynamic, and Persephone Pomegranate, I'm going full OCs, but she's, like, Caramelinda's half-sister, and with uh, Michael, I was like, I don't want another member of the Rocks family, and I don't just want a guy... What if Liam's got another brother? <laughs> That's how you... Because, because your backup characters only show up if your first character dies. So I was like, oh, if Liam died, that's the perfect intro to have Michael show up and I get to play a Candyman edgelord? That's so fun for me specifically. Fair enough, I guess. They're hyper self-indulgent OCs and I love them to death. That's valid. That's valid. Um, uh, another, another place to start, um, uh, we could, yeah, we can, we can start with our, our list of things. We can start with a D&D class, um, or we could start by making someone who's sort of like in some way narratively related to Colonel Cornelius. I'm thinking about, um, 
uh, it sounds like you guys are really excited about um, this follow-up show, which is a love letter to the previous show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what if we made a character who um, would be like the, the, I don't know, like, like a follow-up to Colonel Cornelius in this new show? Yeah. So Does that make sense in the world? The new show is a prequel. So the, that's part of why the world is so different because it is it starts at least pre-Ravening War and then goes through. So it's like it's it, it there's a lot of time skips in Ravening War, but it starts like roughly 23 or 25 years I think before the events of Crown of Candy. It's 20 years plus however long the war takes, which is Five Wait, years, honestly, longer. No, it's more than that. Given the time skips they've had, they've had at least 7 years in time skips already. So Probably pushing 30 years prior. Oh, my brain went Star Wars when it should have went War of the Roses. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I want to I wanna piece apart what, like, a food would be and, and try to figure out, like, the life and genetic track of that. I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, an interesting food combination that would be fun to make an OC out of. I'm just going to say things that are stupid because I was looking through the list and 21 is a box of Kraft mac and cheese. And in this world, would that mean you're oh, like, God. you like carry a coffin on your back? Oh, what would a, okay. Kraft mac and cheese. So that would definitely be like, um, we've seen now between Crown of Candy and Ravening War, we've seen multi, multiple pasta people. So like, for example, in Crown of Candy, there's like Alfredi. And I always wondered, cause she's, she's like, Technically Cerisian, but also she's Alfredo pasta, which is like heavily dairy. Yeah, you need some dairy in you. Yeah, so I feel like a mac and cheese person of any kind would be a similar combination, like of both Cerisian ancestry and like Dairy Isles ancestry, and maybe from like the the borderlands nearby i mean there's like a whole coastline uh north of the great stone candy mountains that like where the the dairy islands like bleeds up and into cerisia and that's where you get like pizza people from and stuff so maybe from like that someone from like that region so we we are going craft mac and cheese a craft mac and cheese person i guess that's not really an object anymore that's just the person but that's kind of how it goes with crown of candy no that's stuff. fine it's a prompt it's fine <laughs> They, our, our, our Chekhov's man left an object around the house, and that object is the person who we are, the original character that we're making. They are themselves the box of Kraft Mac and Cheese. Fair enough. It kind of does make me curious about brands in this setting. I don't assume that Kraft exists in this setting. No, everything is very unbranded. But we can, we can assume that they are... You know, a, a generic store brand type mac and cheese, not necessarily of especially high quality. Yes. And I think that that can be, that can be a place to start. Yeah. Like, do they, is there a distinction between foods that taste good and foods that do not taste good in this environment? Not to say that That gets taste you good, into but, you know. the whole discussion. Um, oh my gosh, what is that? Um, uh, uh, Bulbian like piece of theology that's about like good foods and bad foods that the candians deal with through a lot of uh yeah. crown of candy I don't, I don't know the specific name of it but it's essentially like the, the world yeah the, the world needs enough healthy food to like keep the eaten one at bay i think it is yeah so it's yeah it's basically there needs to be a balance of healthy foods and junk foods and it's talking about like what even is a junk food and um like 
all of the balance there. So it's not so much like usually it leans into like the candians being considered more like junk food, but there are obviously going to be other people from other regions as well. And so a craft mac and cheese person could have fallen in like under the Bulbian church in that kind of category. Maybe this is someone who like similarly to Saccharina has been like spurned by or whatever like by the the church and is like very anti-Bulbian church because they don't want to be because the church is considering them like a junk food um based on that Ramsian doctrine is that what it's called that sounds right to me it 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 just hit my brain and that sounds right but I could be wrong that's maybe something that we can run with and like to be, uh, how would they look? Okay, so because, like, the people in all of, like, Calorum can range very widely from being just a person with, like, a non-natural kind of color scheme to, like, fully just a walking piece of food. And most of the pasta people seem to kind of fall in that first category where it's just, like, maybe their hair is done up, like, fettuccine or something and, but, uh, like, whatever, but... Otherwise, they tend to look kind of peopleish. But for yeah, mac the duality and cheese, of Annabelle Cheddar versus Primsy Cold Bottle, who is just a glass of milk. I love Primsy so much, though. Oh my gosh. Um. Yeah, but no, you're exactly right. And you've got like, um, uh, people like Calroy, who's just a walking piece of cake, and yet you've also got most of the Rocks family that look very human. So where would, like, a mac and cheese person fall on that scale? I just need to take a second to laugh about the fact that Calroy is, like, one of the most dastardly and insidious and successful villains in D20, and he is a piece of cake in pants. <laughs> we should have known from the beginning that they are like, oh, yeah, he's from Candia. He's cake! He's also bread! <laughs> we should have seen it coming. We should have seen it coming. That fucker. That... You guys are nerds. Yeah. That's what your podcast is about. Don't judge. What? What? You're, you're being nerds all the time. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it when guests call us out. It's great. Is this, is this someone who um, uh, subscribes to these doctrines or someone who specifically rejects them? I feel like it has to be someone who rejects them. I think it's more interesting if they like believe it, like it, like they they think it's true, like they they are like junk food, but they still think their existence is valid, right? Like, th like they accept the theology as fact, but they're still like, no, fuck you. Interesting. So someone who's more on the lines of like, yeah, I'm junk food, but it still doesn't matter. Yeah. What if it's someone who has like. When people are eating the the whole, like, everything in moderation kind of thought process of, like, yeah, I'm junk food, but it's fine because it's just me. Have you heard of intuitive eating? <laughs> Checkmate, Bulbian Church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like this. What kind of, okay, so what kind of class would this person have then? Because if they're going to lean into Bulbian Church stuff, then they're either going to be someone who doesn't have magic or they're going to be someone who has magic but understands that even if it doesn't come from the church they need to play it off as coming from the church 
I actually think like just a straight up cleric who focuses on uh, like a primary healing cleric makes sense because like mm. okay I'm, I'm I'm finally I'm finally doing my thing where I talk about like how I think cleric should be played and how I think paladin should be played because we I promised doing this in the Pathfinder revisit episode but we never did so like mm. I don't think that paladins should be a charisma based spellcaster I think they should be a wisdom based spellcaster because to me a paladin is someone who has their own like it's about having a specific individualized relationship to your deity and you interpret the this doctrine in a specific way ergo you are someone who is thinking about your dogma you're not someone who's actively preaching about it but you just think about it and how you would adhere to these rules and i think that is wisdom first so i think i think this person satisfies my need for like a a religious spellcaster who is who like gets their power because they have a specific relationship with their holy text and they think about it at night Okay, so we're we're thinking of like a knight of the Bulbian Church, but who is maybe removed from like the uh, upper management essentially of the Bulbian Church, and so doesn't have to deal with as much of like the pressure as like someone like Lapan did. Yeah, maybe this is someone who um, like is either from like a more rural area or spent or or who has been stationed in a more rural area um who mostly just does like minor miracles and things to help the locals yeah i'm not along that makes sense to me amber has anything tickled your brain i think so the the, the character that we've pitched so far um is a a cleric who genuinely believes in um their god which makes me a little bit curious about the way that gods exist in this world, um, uh, who genuinely believes in the the doctrines of their church, even as the doctrines of their church um, are like oppressive towards this character in some way, are hateful of them in some way. It's it's very Catholic somehow, like it uh, is. this this self flagellating um, uh, sense of characterization and. Um, you know, we could go darker. We could go as like a character who believes so much in the Ramsian doctrine, which often says that junk food needs to be eliminated, not just that it exists, but that it needs to be eliminated. We could go one step further and be and say that this this junk food cleric is on like a mission to almost like like vigilante assassinate like potential other junk foods, you know? fantasy internalized racism has entered the chat (laughs) it's so funny because when i pitched it i was more so thinking just like gay youth pastors i've known and then you were guys went like full cat of nine tails like daredevil catholic boy and i'm like oh i think that's a better idea i just like the idea of of like being like a like a, a cleric being a vigilante assassin like how often would you see that kind of thing that is a cool idea I think that's cool as hell. <laughs> so that's yeah, and then rad. having actual this is not where I expected craft mac and cheese <laughs> as a prompt to go. Having actual Bulbian magic means that in many ways they would be more powerful than the non-magical people that they reach. Maybe they hear about like up-and-coming lords or people who are making names for themselves as like the head of certain armies or things like that, and if 
this person deems them to be junk food, they go in and assassinate that person and it creates like a void for the next, you know, political person of interest to enter. Oh, and you tied it back down to political machinations. Well, I fucking, uh, hold on just one second. Because when I was like crown of candy, I was just like, I'm going to talk about the ending and that Sacharina Frostwhip is tall and I love her. I did not expect we'd be like, what if Alexander Anderson from Helsing was a box of Kraft Mac and Cheese and to then go, God, that's the sickest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I I like this idea of, because there's so much of the Bulbian church that is like, not good like there is so much that runs through it that it is evil and there are a lot of people who are under the bulbian church who do evil things i mean look at freaking uh elizabeth brassica so having a cleric of the church be someone because the ramsian doctrine for most of like the history of calorum is considered like a fringe belief anyway to have someone who is actively like almost disobeying the church but for the church is doing these things and like eliminating these people it's such an interesting concept i love this yet to be unnamed pun person so i amber are they better than colonel cornelius because i think this is a cooler idea at the very least um i you know we're not done yet i'm gonna reserve judgment um and also i don't understand how much they as- un- they understand the assignment you know as a, as a concept that we talk about in these so this character very much sounds like a villain, yeah? Like, this is a... Yeah, I would say this so. Is, this is a villain character, so not like a character at... This isn't a player at the table. This is I mean, something that... You never know. The The beauty of... Uh, especially that we see more in Ravening War is that, like, ev- every character at that table is forced to work together via something or another, but they have very conflicting ideas of how things should go. And I would say that this person might be a villain, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't think they could be at a future table set in Calorum. Does that make sense? It does. So then my next question about this character is where they fit into, like, the existing social and political structures of the game. Like, what other, what other characters does this character have a relationship with? Um, are they working for any of the other bad guys or any of the other bad guys... Are they are they working tentatively at any point with any of the hero characters? Do they have any pre-existing relationships with any other characters that we know about in the show? So I feel like a lot of the characters that this character would heavily interact with would then be um, major Bulbian NPCs. So, for example, um, I feel like this character might be uh, friendly with or work together with Carrot and Deeproot before his passing. Um, and as another knight of the Bulbian church, essentially. And, like, part of me also thinks, given, like, all the stuff that was happening with Alfredi early on in the campaign and the stuff that she was doing sort of behind the backs of the other major players, that this character might have been working hand-in-hand with her to assassinate certain individuals that were not in agreement with her. Does that make sense? Yeah. Outside of, like, of the major people at the table, though, I'm not sure how much this character would actually interact with them. Yeah, I just had a thought that what... Because I, I was... The the one you just said, the, 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 the pasta woman, 
Who's Alfredi? A false prophet. Alfredi. I feel like we've made Alfredi's Keridin. And then what if I do a curveball with you guys? Uh, Amber's going to say yes. I can feel it. But what if our craft assassin <laughs> uh, is a woman and gay and be making out with Alfredi? Sure. <laughs> I don't see why that can't happen. <laughs> because Crowd of Candy, very notable for its various and wild portrays of women. Uh, and, you know, it, it needed a little more like a to rep, and some of it wasn't texted in the show and only got said for word of God from Brennan. So let's, uh, let's make some, let's make some gay shit canon. Fair enough. I, I don't, I don't have a disagreement with that. I don't know who, um, that, the pasta woman is. She is a semi-high up political person in Ceresia, aka the Grainlands. Um, she is also in the Bulbian Church. Um, so she is like head of like the Bulbian Church's section in Ceresia. So yeah, it would totally make sense that our mac and cheese person would be working directly with her to do the various you know political moves that she's looking forward to having i mean she's uh the person who gave uh Caridin the blades i think to try and assassinate amathar yeah so she's got all the she's got all the the i'm looking for a word to say tips and tricks but you know just like fun gadgets fun gadgets yeah. for fake miracles yeah she could absolutely be the one uh uh encouraging our lovely mac and cheese person to go do evil and you know now she's got her own care melinda's one night who didn't get to show up because liam never died yeah okay what would we name this person we need a funny um pun i'm bad with puns amber do you have any mac and cheese based puns maybe this is where we could get the brand in there maybe we could have craft be like in the name as well that's good thinking Maybe, like, a last name of craft. Sir could be men and women, right? It's all it's all knights of the Bulbian yeah, Church. They're all called Sir. Status. So, like... Um, Mackenzie, because it's got <gasps> Mac in it. I love that. Yes. Sir Mackenzie Sir, Sir Mackenzie Craft. Amazing. No, I love that. We did it. <laughs> yes. But okay, and what does what does Mackenzie look like? We still haven't decided. Is this just like a noodle dripping with cheese that's walking around, or is this like a more of a person that's just orange? I know I definitely prefer the the design where it is like a human who looks like food as opposed to food with arms and legs. But like, I don't <laughs> know, what are you guys feeling? I feel like that we would made kinda... Colonel Cornelius just like food with arms and legs and guy liner. If, if we're having this person also be, like, hooking up with Alfredi, then it would make sense that they're more of a person as well. Not that that hasn't been a thing in the past. Um, there have definitely been people who look like people and people who look like food having babies. But I feel like it makes more sense when they both look vaguely people-like. Calorize fucking someone. <laughs> so maybe... Oh, oh, what if this person has, like, short, curly hair and the curls are, like, the little mac and cheese curly noodles? Oh, that's good. And it's, like, like that bright neon craft uh, orange. I want, like, their... What assassins have? Okay. 
Uh, you know, like bracers, the the shit you have on like arms mm-hmm. when you're in like the uh, those. I want her bracers to look like uh like a fork and a spoon because <laughs> that's how you eat craft mac and cheese. <laughs> I love that though. That would be so good. So if they're actually an officially, if she's actually officially in a night of the Bulbian Church, she would have like her nightly regalia, but then when out doing assassin shit would maybe have a different outfit for sneaking around i think they have a dirge of assassin outfits i think like they know where the kill is going to be so it's like oh gotta bring out the syrian assassin outfit so i can kind of blend in fair enough yeah but i think their normal just like night outfit is very loud very proud very like the shoulder pads are made to look like bowls type yeah. thing. Yeah, I agree. I love this person. My big remaining question. So, no, okay, my two, my two remaining questions. Because we said that um, uh, pasta lady whose name I consistently forget. Alfredi. Um, Alfredi, thank you, um, has been, like, convincing her to do these evil acts um, is, like, somehow whispering in her ear about Mm it. We also have, like, she's a legitimate believer in the doctrines. Mm -hmm. Which came first there in terms of, like, is she a pre-existing believer who's being, like, and, and Alfredi has found a true believer to egg on? Or was she not always like this? And it's sort of a tragic story where she fell in with someone who has, who is like, like undermining her own sense of self via religious trauma, basically. So I have an idea for this. Yeah. So what if she was a true believer at the start and that's how Alfredi found her roped her in, made her a knight of the Bulbian church and had her like doing all these things. And then with time, she like fell in love with Alfredi and uh, they were together for a while. And after a while, it shook her belief a little bit because let's be real, a Mac, a craft mac and cheese person is really just pasta and dairy. And then a fettuccine Alfredi, Alfredo person is also just pasta and dairy. And what if our lovely Mackenzie started having doubts about what makes me like that, like self-hatred, like what makes me junk food and you not and goes to Alfredi about this and it makes them like fight because drama Um And what if it makes her, like, question her beliefs? And then, because Alfredi is cutthroat, uh, what if if, if, uh, Mackenzie stops uh, doing what Alfredi wants? Alfredi decides that you're too much work and has her assassinated because she's cutthroat. That's a whole storyline right there. That's perfect. <laughs> sorry, I just had that all hit me all at once. No, why are you sorry? <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that's good. I'm yeah, congratulating no, you on a, on a good job. I don't know if you guys have anything to add. No, I fully agree. I just wanted to say that, like, I I was going to say, yeah, this is a person with pre-existing faith. Because a a thing about Alfredi is, like, she is a con woman to some extent, right? She uses, like, trinkets to fake miracles. She knows a sucker when she sees one. She sees a rube. She sees someone Mm -hmm. in craft who can be molded to do the thing she wants. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely think it's, like, pre-existing. And, like, yeah, I... I like the thing you said. And 
and it makes sense for like a sad world of this tragic love story that ends with the assassin being assassinated because the person they loved kind of sucks. What if this all happens even like right before the beginning of A Crown of Candy, which is why Alfredi is now working with Caridin instead during the actual events of A Crown of Candy. And I think you make this like doubly sad because Alfredi gets murked because she's not as important as she thinks. And I think if she still yes. had craft around, she'd have been safe. Yes. Okay, perfect. That's exactly how it would have been. <laughs> oh, I thought, oh, God damn it. I, <laughs> this, Amber, I said it last time. I don't think we have yet to make a C-tier character. This is, we've been fucking banging them out. <laughs> my, um, my, my, my remaining question, I guess, is just about general temperament and vibes. What is she like to be around? What, what are the vibes on this character? We often talk about the vibes of the character. I want to say more personable she... than Carradin, but still like that same level of like, I don't think I want to be around a person who's this into Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a certain level of like, like stoicism, but not so extreme that you can't get along with her. And I think she's just very in her head. Like anyone who works as like uh, uh, any kind of assassin or vigilante or, or regularly is doing you know, acts of violence is going to be in their own head a lot as they're figuring all of that out. Relaxed and observant side, especially being a cleric, she would have pretty good like perception and things like that. So probably a little bit more like listening rather than talking as well. I think she's very good at plain personable, but it is always clear if you get a high enough perception check that this is an artifice. It is an mm -hmm. act to, to exist in normal society to better kill people. I agree. And I think that she probably has, she should probably have some kind of childhood complex that sent her into this path in the beginning. So I don't know exactly what that would be, but there's got to be something in her past that made her start truly believing that junk food exists and also she is one. We can sketch that out if we ever do a revisit, revisit <laughs> <candy> episode. <laughs> episode. I think that anybody listening to this podcast who loves sad and traumatized characters is going to have a field day with this one. Probably. Speaking of sad and traumatized characters, in my experience, they often sucky, fucky, and crazy fun <laughs> ways. So fuck? does that mean we've this entered the like, worst transition? We've already talked about who she's getting shipped with. She's actively in a relationship <laughs> with Alfredi until Alfredi mercs her. Yeah, we kind of already have that. Yeah, we have discovered all of Let's Ship It, so do we not have to... I'm just going to throw one out that's really stupid. I think there is, like, a subset of the fandom who treat them like uh, Gooey and Sir Theobald with Keratin. <laughs> like, oh, they're off submissiving at each other, and everyone else is like, stop. Fuck, no. But, that, but those, like, three people like, no, it rules. I mean, I, I can see that sort of thing in a level of, like, if... Uh, Kraft and Keridan are both working for Alfredi in the same way that Theobald and uh, Gooey are both working for Saccharina at that point <laughs> and like competing for Alfredi's attention but I just feel like Keridan is too much of a stick up his ass I don't want to ship him with anyone Listen, I don't ship Keridan with anyone I don't think Keridan understands a sex but I think fans are very often wrong <laughs> Fair enough, I guess. AO3 would be incorrect about them. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So are we at one fun fact apiece then? 
I believe we are at one fun fact apiece. That is my theory on the situation. Oh, gosh, okay. I think craft is <laughs> not ironically, but just as a different word. But it's very good at crafting, right? As someone who can like pick up skills and kind of knows how to do them like immediately, knows how to make poisons, knows how to make tools, better like assassin things, like can kind of act to some extent, but like try was like, oh, I'm I'm kind of good at everything. What if I picked up music and is just bad at it and just can't pick up music and it upsets her. It upsets her so much that she can't play the fucking violin. <laughs> I could see that. I feel like Kraft has siblings that they no longer speak to that are themed around, uh, like, okay. So the other day, my roommate was eating something I didn't know existed, and it was hot Cheetos mac and cheese, like boxed mac and cheese. Yeah, I literally Cheetos have a box brand. of that in my in my closet right now. And apparently the If we were on screen, I would get it out. <laughs> apparently Doritos also has something similar. So I feel like our lovely Mackenzie Craft has a couple of siblings that she doesn't talk to anymore that are themed around these other mac and cheese flavors. Oh, that's good. How are you so good at this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I spend too much time thinking about this world. God, oh, fucking Calorum such a cool setting. <laughs> I know. Actually, the other day, a friend of mine and I were watching, when we were wa- uh, doing our Ravening War watch party, we started talking about, because Calorum is a continent, and we were like, mm-hmm. there's got to be more continents in this world. What do the other continents look like if they're not a food group? And we spent forever talking about it and decided that there's at least one continent that is themed around kitchen utensils. Ooh, oh, yeah, there is. Anyway. Sorry, I think we need more, one more fun fact, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on it. Amber's gonna say something about shoes. I'm not gonna say something about shoes. I was gonna say something about glasses. <laughs> um. Amazing. I'm. I really, truly have like three tricks for fun facts. I say something about a pet. I say something about music, or I say something about a, a clothing accessory. Sometimes you get a sibling in there. <laughs> Whoever is whoever's GMing this one, if we if we think that this is one of the Brennan ones or one of the um, Matt Mercer ones, whoever is running this particular session, uh, I think whenever they they like play Mackenzie, they get out like um, a pair of like in character glasses that they like keep by the side, and when you put the glasses on, um, that's how you know it's Mackenzie. Is she has like these these like kind of like Da Vinci ass. Um, funky renaissance looking glasses for her investigatory process like old school spectacles yeah i love the idea that famed and notable voice actor matt mercer who's not great at voice modulation it's not his skill set as a voice actor and brennan who is very notable at having a wide variety of accents were both like fuck i have no voice so they just pull out glasses Hey, you know Well, what? I mean, you could also do a voice thing to indicate as well. Um, but I think this character also gets a prop. She can have both. That would also be interesting, too, because, like, as a character who is both the combination of dairy and bread, would she have more of, like, the Italian Cerisian accent? Or would she have any, like, affectation of, like, the Dairy Isles, like kind of scottish slash irish depending on the region accent. my hot take is it would be there's a little section of italy that i can't think of off of the top of my head that like i think 
borders Cecilia. Like it starts with like a D, and their version of Italian is like I don't have time, and so it is just like marbled, <laughs> just like marbled Italian speech that goes by really fast. I think that's how she talks. Okay, okay, kind of like that bit how like um people say that they can't understand when like Scottish people speak because the words all go so fast and blur together. You kind of have like the yeah. Italian version of it. I love her. Now I want to cosplay I feel great her. about her. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the tie-in for this episode. Good God. God, can you imagine someone cosplaying one of the characters we made on this? I would I would die. I that, would die on the spot. That's triple S tier. <laughs> oh, God. Don't tempt me. I don't need another uh, Calorum level complex cosplay build. <laughs> and also you would take it wherever no one would know what that cosplay is you would be like yeah it's for this original character i made on a podcast hey i've on. done more niche uh cosplays before well um uh i think that this uh, th- this is a character i think that that's an episode of original podcast do not steal yeah yeah thank Kay. you all for joining us would you like to um, plug my plug name has been amber autumn she her yeah talk good we do at a podcast i'm prince devon he him thank you for having me here my name again is Kay. i use they them pronouns and this was so much fun thank you so much for being here um and having such crystal clear audio quality i can tell <laughs> Um, Thank you. Uh, our, our theme music is by Kyle Alicia, whose work you can find at therealragnarok.bandcamp.com. Um, uh, do you want to plug any pluggables? Yeah. Um, depending on what you like about me, I have two places you can find me. So for fun cosplay things, you can find me at uh, CK Cosplay almost everywhere on the internet in some form or another. And if you prefer the more uh, D&D and TTRPG side of things, I own an Etsy shop called The Familiar Shop, and I post all sorts of stuff related to that or memes related to TTRPGs at The Familiar Shop all over the internet. All right, that's all very excellent and a thing I didn't know. But a thing everyone <laughs> listening to season two knows is that you will join us next week when Amber tries and fails to get us to talk about Gem and the Holograms because next week we'll actually be talking about... The Last of Us. We'll be talking about The Last of Us next week. Ooh, I love TV. Nice. Um, uh, Thank you for joining us. Um, uh, go ahead and give us a like, give us a comment, head out, check out our merch store, um, where we will be selling boxes of Flamin' Hot Cheetos Kraft Mac and Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Love you. Bye, everyone. Bye.